With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby. Mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa. Take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba Life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah. Oh. Sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. Hey Mets fans, welcome back to Amazing Avenue Audio, the show. My name is Brian, with me as always is Chris. And Chris, we're talking about a slightly shortened week of baseball here. The Mets had an off day on Monday. They had two rainouts on Friday and Saturday, only one of which was made up. So it feels like we haven't had a ton of baseball to talk about since we last podcasted. However, in the Amazing Avenue tradition, on Thursday, after we finished recording, the Mets came back in historic fashion to beat the Phillies uh, at home, scoring uh, seven runs in the bottom of the ninth inning. So it's right at the top of the ninth inning to, uh, no, in the bottom of the eighth inning. I'm sorry. I'm forgetting. What they, 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 they were home for that, right? I'm not crazy. Uh, no, that was on the road. It was on the road? I, yeah. See again? <laughs> so I was like, when we podcast in the morning? My brain isn't fully awake yet. Yeah, no. So it was the top of the ninth inning that they scored the seven runs to uh, go ahead of the Phillies and win the game 8-7. Uh, you and I have watched a lot of baseball. We've seen a lot of comebacks, but that felt really special to me, and it was a ton of fun. Did you feel that was as special as the team and the media made it out to be? Yeah, 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 absolutely. I mean, that was a for a Rangers-Mets fan, that was one of several recent nights with somewhat divided attention. Um, but the Mets certainly caught everyone's attention. I'd say even when Lindor hit the home run in that inning, uh, that old cliche about the home run being a rally killer it obviously wasn't true in this game. <laughs> right, yes. Uh, but that that was at least enough to go, ooh, you know, okay. 
and then it just kept going from there. So, it, yeah, um, the middle innings were uh, nothing special, but but I think I said this to you um, the next day. But it's just the best thing in baseball is that sometimes it feels like once something starts to happen, it's just going to happen. Yes, there was a certain inevitability to them coming back at a certain point. Right. And then it felt like they were going to get out of that top of the ninth with the lead somehow. And they did just enough, exactly that. Um, to come out of it with a one run lead and uh, turn it over to Edwin Diaz, who has been as good as he's ever looked uh, as a Met so far this year. Yeah. I mean, it, it was like a perfect, it was a perfect inning of baseball if you enjoy baseball being about uh scoring and not about pitching i think there there are are two different sort of schools of some folks want to see their team hit you know hit the ball all over the field and get uh you know score a lot of runs others are there for the pitcher's duel this was sort of the best of both you got to see the mets just you know unload an offensive barrage and do so through you know, um, all different kinds of hitting, whether it was situational hitting or just, you know, a, a display of power or whatever the case may be. And then at the end of the inning, you got just a dominant pitching performance. So it was it was like the best. It was one of the best innings I can remember as a Mets fan, just a single inning. Um, it is the first time, and I believe it was 25 years, that the Mets had come back from a deficit of six runs or more in the ninth inning. So, it, you know, there there's some historical significance there as well. And it just goes to show that this team, at least for me, almost every game feels like there is a chance for them to come back and to win if they're down. You know, I recapped the game on Tuesday, and the Mets were down 2 nothing, And in years past, I would have, uh, you know, uh, foolishly, emotionally, however you want to say it, I would have likely started writing up the recap with that final score in the uh, in the header, just saying, "All right, well, this is you know, this is the Mets are going to lose this game. Maybe I'll have to adjust the numbers up a little bit, but it's going to be Nationals two, Mets zero. And I never even thought that for one second in that game. It was like, "All right, well, you know, the Mets are down by two, but there's a lot of game to play, left to play, and it's the Nationals bullpen, etc., cetera, etc." Cetera. And of course, they came back and they won that game. So. That is um, that is just what this team is doing right now. Even last night, you know, when the Mets lost eight to three, the broadcast said at one point, you know, um, when the Mets got a couple of hits to start the ninth inning, they were like, "Well, here we go again." Like just just put out there the possibility that the team could come back. Now, I don't think anybody expects this to happen all the time, but it just has seemed for years like a foregone conclusion that if the if the team is down by a certain amount at a certain point in the game, you just wash your hands of the game. You say, all right, we'll get them next time. But that doesn't seem to be the way the team is going right now. It seems like the team is just they have they have more fight in them and, uh, you know, insert other cliches about being tough here. But it's it's really exciting to watch, and I think that it bodes well for not just the results on the field for the rest of the season, I think it bodes really well for how the team sees itself going forward. Like, 
you just get the you just get the feeling that I don't know if this is because of the particular mixture of guys on the club right now, or if this is Buck Showalter's influence, or if this is just the realization that you know they're not playing under the the cloud of the will ponds anymore. I, I don't know what we can specifically attribute this to, but it just feels to me like this team is aware of the fact that they not only are good, but that they have they have the ability to do special things. And I think that when you really don't believe you're ever out of the game, that on some level, that informs the way you play the rest of the game, and that will inform your ability to come back and to have big rallies, et cetera, et cetera. Even though, you know, I am a more analytical-minded fan than that, I do think that mindset matters a bit here. Uh, do you concur with that? Yeah, yeah. And it just seems like a good combination of players to do that. It helps that they just have a lot of good players. Um, but these guys don't seem to be sulking too much when things go poorly. Uh, I think one thing that's been noticeable is that Jeff McNeil seems to have his emotions a little more under control when things go wrong for him this year, which is a nice thing to see. I mean, they're not going wrong all that often. He's, he's playing really good baseball, but, um, the helmet slams, that sort of stuff seem to be a little more in check and maybe that's, uh, new teammates, you know, Buck Walters, new manager, or just a little bit of extra maturity as he's, uh, gained a little more experience and in, in, in baseball and in life. But yeah, it, I think it's, it's one of those things that's always hard to define or, or quantify, but when a team is playing well and it, and it looks like they're playing well legitimately, right? Like the Mets aren't uh, 21 and 11 right now with a negative run differential or something. Um, if you read Twitter, you'd think they were. <laughs> well, yeah. Uh, don't don't read Mets Twitter. None of us abide by it. But if you can help yourself, don't don't do it. <laughs> it's, like, it's, it's like picking a scab. You know you shouldn't do it, but sometimes you do it anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um, but when you have a team that is legitimately playing well, and Keith Hernandez on a broadcast uh, since our last podcast episode made the same point that I had made on this show last week. Uh, I certainly don't think he was listening and, and lifting our material, but I did have a dream last night that Gary Cohen mentioned amazing Avenue on the air. Uh, okay. Yeah. There, there've been a couple times there was, I felt like there was something maybe in last night's game or I forget which one, but there was an opportunity for referencing yeah it was in last night's game and all weekend this weekend as the Mets uh host the Mariners at City Field there's certainly an opportunity to mention Dave Capobianco's uh look back at the trade yes it was very very good and uh yeah I think I don't I can't claim to have read everything out there on the Mets internet but I don't think anybody has touched on that topic since the Cano DFA and the way that he did uh, so if you haven't read it, although it looked like a lot of you did, but if you hadn't read it, <laughs> um, go do that. And maybe Gary will drop that on the air. But Keith had made the point that uh, 
the Mets had not lost the series yet. And Gary responded with uh, thinking back to when the NHL still had ties and referencing unbeaten streaks. Um, as a recent soccer convert, there are still ties in that sport. That, that would be a contemporary reference, meaning the same thing. But haven't lost a series yet is still a pretty great thing. Um, Absolutely. You know, four-game series are hard to win pretty much in any context. Uh, certainly when, when the Mets play the Braves, if they could escape with a split every time, if they were all even number series, I would totally be fine with that. So Same with the Giants. Yeah, another good team the Mets split with this season. Was they? Oh, they, they won with one of those Giants. I'm sorry, right? Didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think it yeah. was only the Brave series that they didn't yeah. win. I remember we, we had recorded, you know, as we had recorded before the fourth game, we were talking about how even if it's a split, we'd be okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, uh, it's, it's pretty good. It's nice to be a Mets fan right now. And hopefully this afternoon they, they beat the Nationals and, we can still say they haven't lost a series yet, and they've won all but one series. Um, but we'll we'll see where where that goes. Um, and obviously, you know, the team is going to lose a series at some point. They're probably going to lose. Uh, they're going to have a losing streak at some point. This is what all teams in baseball go through. But just the fact that they have been able to win without Degrom, they've been able to win without any of their offensive players having career years thus far. Yeah, there, look, there has been some luck. You know, on the broadcast, I think it was two nights ago, uh, Gary and Keith were talking about how uh, Mark Canna has an incredibly high BABIP right now and how Canna himself recognizes that as unsustainable. But, you know, he, he has two extra base hits. So it's not like his BABIP has been leading to this offensive explosion for the Mets. Um you know, but so it it just it just does seem like the team is winning in ways that are, uh, maybe you know sustainable. I have seen some folks I think correctly point out that the Mets winning this much with this low of a hard hit ball rate is a little bit unusual. But again, no one in baseball is hitting the cover off the ball right now to the extent that they have in years past. The offense is down all over, and so if the Mets are winning with 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 lower offense when offense is down that's not a super shocking stat this isn't like they have stolen a bunch of one run games that it seemed clear the other team was going to win you know it's just they're they're to, to me it seems like they're playing to the level of their competition in terms of uh that sort of thing so yeah i think this is a sustainable good team it doesn't it doesn't hurt that the rest of the national league east looks very bad so far Right, that the Mets are the only team in the division with a winning record, <clears throat> and they are ten games over five hundred. Uh, you know, so thus far this season, the only team. Uh, again, we keep referencing the broadcast, but you know, if, if you happen to be a Mets fan who doesn't watch the Mets broadcast because of blackout restrictions or whatever, I'm very sorry. You're missing out on just greatness every night. But it was pointed out last night that the the team that has with the best record in division has won the National League East the last, I believe, it was nine years running. Um, and the Mets have the second best record in division. The, the Marlins have a better record, but the Marlins have played less games in division. And the Mets, I believe, have not played the Marlins yet, correct? Uh, yeah, weird scheduling thing. They don't play them until June. Yeah, this this is definitely... I feel like April against the Marlins is like a rite of passage for Mets fans. You got to watch the g games in that crappy 
green colored outfield wall. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know, for uh, you know, in the middle of April, I, that that's just it's shocking to me. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> but you know, offensively, uh, the Mets are sixth in baseball in runs per game. They're fifth in OPS plus. I know that sounds weird for a team with the 381 slugging percentage, but that is the reality right now. And they're finding ways to score runs. They lead baseball and on base percentage. Um, Funny. I I don't know. Anything this early in the season is hard to predict if it's going to look that way at the end of the year. But if the Mets had the best on base percentage in baseball, um, it would just be funny that, that was something that they started trying to do like 12 years ago. <laughs> yes. Well, I was going to say, like, it, it, it seems like uh, Buck is somebody who, well, I'm sure he's not against on base percentage. I would think he's not as OBP inclined as some of the other managers, the Mets, or at least some of the, some of the implementation that the Mets have tried to make over the last however many years, right? To have a more on base friendly team. And you get you get a manager in there who's maybe isn't quite as uh, vehement about that, and all of a sudden the team can't stop walking. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but hey, I will gladly take it. Um, and who knows how offense and offensive approach changes if baseball, if Major League Baseball, I should say, decides to tweak the baseball again in the middle of the season. Um, Still can't think of a sport that can manufacture issues about itself as well as this one. Uh, correct. Uh, we should also mention it was it was now last week. I'm going to look up the episode number right now so that I'm not talking out of my ass. Uh, episode number 123 of A Pot of Their Own. Um, Allison and Linda were joined by Dr. Meredith Wills, who's an astrophysicist who studies baseballs. And so if you have any questions about what's going on with the baseball right now, give yourself an hour and listen to that conversation. Or you can watch it on our Facebook page. It was a Facebook Live event. You can watch it on Facebook. Um, and Meredith goes through uh, a really good explanation of sort of why everything is going on with the baseball right now. She she doesn't have all the answers, but she certainly has a lot of data. And the biggest thing to take from this is that if you are at a game and you get a baseball, whether thrown to you from a player or, um, you know, caught you caught a home run or a foul ball or whatever the case may be, if you don't have an emotional attachment to that baseball, send it in to Dr. Meredith Wills and she will analyze it. And that leads to actually at least a very good research and will possibly lead to a change in the ball if enough research gets done. So I mean, not the baseball has to listen to Meredith, but it seems like, you know, if we have empirical evidence of the ball being different, maybe they'll do something about it. So um, just a little plug for our sister show, A Pot of Their Own. Yeah. Yeah. And a, 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 a worthwhile effort. The something might be a statement that contradicts the facts. <laughs> right. Yes. But at least then there's that on the record. I just don't understand. I have never heard, aside from the inflation or deflation scandal with the Patriots, I guess that counts. But other than that, I've never heard uh, inconsistencies in a puck, ball, any other sort of object involved in a sport, uh, right? Like, nobody's ever been like, oh, the NBA scoring is up because they made the basketball different. Like, what? No, right. like the basketball is just the basketball. Uh, 
not aware of any any controversy controversies over that. Not only that, but you would think of all the sports, baseball is the most obsessed with its own legacy and its own history. Right. So you would think the idea of like this is the same baseball that Ty Cobb used. Like people would want to have <laughs> that sort of grandstanding opinion, I mean, grandstanding statements to make all the time, you know. Uh, and so I, I'm just shocked at the way this is being handled. But under Rob Manfred, nothing is surprising, I suppose. Yeah. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. You know, we should mention that Tyler McGill got his tits lit last night, and that happens. That's okay. Yeah. Um, you know, I would rather it not happen, but these things certainly do happen in baseball with some regularity. Um, we should mention, though, that, you know, while a lot of attention has been given to McGill early on the season for his, you know, his continued good work last night, notwithstanding, and we've talked about Max Scherzer and his emergence as the, Met, as, as the Mets ace in DeGrom's absence, we haven't talked a lot about either Carlos Carrasco or Chris Bassett. We mentioned them a little bit on the show. But I think both are worth a little bit more of a deep dive here. Um, Chris, I know that when Carrasco came over, we were excited about him as a, as a pitcher. But after an injury-shortened injury and injury-impacted year, I don't think I, I don't believe I ever thought Carrasco would be this good for the Mets. And I feel a little bit foolish for maybe writing him off before his time. And that wasn't anything to do with Carrasco. It's just that, you know... You sort of forget what you trade for when you see the when you see a player who doesn't live up to that standard. So, what are you thinking about Carrasco so far this season, and uh, how much fun is he to watch pitch right now? Yeah, I mean this is this is great. This is the guy who I think we all thought the Mets were getting. And in his defense, last year he only threw fifty three and two thirds innings, um, but it was hard to see his better self in any of that. I mean, home runs were a major issue. Um, he wasn't walking the ballpark or anything, but I don't know. The just his strikeouts were down. His walks weren't amazing. Um, and he had a big time home run problem. Uh, really struggled with guys on base. Just the, nothing was going well. So, you look at what he's doing now, and it's it's more in line with sort of his career numbers. Um, you know, strikeouts are slightly lower. <clears throat> the walk rate is excellent right now. Um, not giving up home runs uh, as often as he has in in his career. 
Um, you know, you look back to 2019, he's a guy who, like many in 2019, seemed to have been just ambushed by that baseball. Um, yeah, so it, you look at this and it just seems like he's not invincible, but a guy with a low to mid three ERA who can take the ball every fifth day. That is an excellent thing to have in your rotation. Um, I was concerned coming into the season about, especially with DeGrom uh, being on the shelf, I was concerned about McGill, uh, Carrasco, Peterson, um, Taiwan Walker to a certain extent, and, and we can touch on him in a minute, but... Um, you know, they, they've all pretty much stepped up, even with the bad start. It's not like McGill has horrendous numbers. And he's certainly somebody who you look and say, okay, he's pitched better than that ERA right now. It, it's inflated because he had one disastrous start. Right. Um, I didn't actually expect him to end up in Cy Young discussions, but <laughs> <laughs> but he's certainly pitched better than his current ERA. And, and, you know, Carrasco, in his case, it, it's his numbers look pretty much exactly right for what it's felt like to watch him pitch. Yep. 3.19 ERA, 3.04 FIP. Um, just, yeah, just absolutely solid major league pitcher. Um, and one who, I don't think I've seen any of this in our circles, but... <laughs> I know Andres Jimenez has uh, been hitting very well for the Guardians to start the year. And while I haven't seen it, if anybody out there is worried that the trade was bad for some reason because of that, just remember, <laughs> if Carrasco is this good uh, over the course of a contending season, that is a significant thing the Mets got in that trade on top of Francisco Lindor. Yes, exactly. Um because the Mets rotation, when it, when when that dream of Harvey Wheeler, Syndergaard, Mats, and uh, oh geez, who was the fifth one? Degrom. <laughs> oh right, yeah. Sorry, Jake. <laughs> well, you know, but like he's still here. I mean, hopefully, hopefully right, he's yeah. back out on the mound soon. So I'm thinking all the ones who right. aren't Mets anymore, uh, which is crazy, but. Once that all fell apart, the Mets very suddenly didn't have uh, a major league rotation anymore. It was not that long ago, even though the 2015 season is starting to be that long ago. But it was not that long ago that we could at least dream that those five pitchers would all be good and healthy at the same time. Um, and then all of a sudden that wasn't the case. So getting Carrasco, um, bringing in Walker, bringing in Bassett. These are major league starters. And the, the, no disrespect to any of the younger guys who have at least on occasion stepped up for the Mets, but they desperately needed pitchers like these. Yes. And in addition to that, you, you, need, you need both of those things, right? Like you need a McGill to be able to step up when called upon you need a peterson to be able to step up and called upon i mean the mets have gone down to their um i believe they've used 
seven starters this year, counting Trevor Williams. Um, is that correct? The five in the current rotation plus Peterson plus Williams? Uh, let me double check. It sounds right. I believe it's been seven so far. Yeah. But, uh, you know, of those seven, you know, Williams had a rough start. But, you know, before McGill's start last night, it really felt like everybody who had been called upon to take somebody else's spot to come up in a big place. Not everybody had a fantastic game. The Mets have lost 11 games. They're not perfect. But it seems like everybody has done their part to contribute to the team staying in games. And, you know, mentioning Trevor Williams, he did have that bad start. But last night he came out of the bullpen and, you know, A, saved the bullpen from having to go for too long during the game. You know, he he ate up a lot of those innings. But he also looked pretty good in the process, you know. Um, you recapped the game. Did I was – during most of his uh, appearance, I was actually – putting my kids to bed and doing a couple things around the house. How do you feel that Williams looked last night? Capable, which is not an insult. <laughs> like, no, I mean, he gave up two hits and a walk and struck out two over three and two thirds innings. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't know. It wasn't like he looked so great that I'm thinking uh, he should pitch more important innings, but uh, there's probably some improvement to be had in the ERA. Um You could argue the same about his numbers last year. You, you know, it's uh, the, his numbers with the Mets last year after he came over from the Cubs were pretty good. You know, not totally dominant, but pretty good stuff over a little over 30 innings. Um, so, yeah, getting out there, throwing uh, three plus innings <clears throat> effectively last night, giving the Mets a break. Um, and really keeping them in the game, you know, like you said earlier in this episode, uh, they have the ability to come back and they had plenty of time to come back. Uh, they just didn't, but if they had gotten back into the game, whether they had pulled off a full comeback on one or not, uh, Williams would certainly deserve a lot of credit for that. So I don't know the best way to get him a little more regular work. Probably having him a triple A start. That, yeah, but he, he's out of but, options. That, that, that doesn't help. Exactly. Oh, oh, I forgot he's out of options. Yeah, I was going to say, that also doesn't help the, uh, you know, it doesn't help that the Mets need him to pitch for them in long innings, I mean, long in long relief situations. So, Right. Yeah, I mean, I guess if they can build a multiple run lead and their starter is either, I don't know, either has a high pitch count or is starting to get tired, or maybe they want to get that starter a little extra rest before the next start, uh, especially right now as the Mets are in a stretch where they don't have an off day for over two weeks. Um, their next off day is two weeks from today. That's important to have that kind of guy. So I'm not saying the next time the Mets are up three that – Williams should pitch two or three innings in the middle of that game. But if they're up maybe four or five, six runs in a game, um, it might be nice to get him in there and just see a little more what you got. The worst case scenario, if you can get him into those situations, he gets into trouble and then you basically revert back to using your, your better relievers. But um, 
they're going to need those innings to come from somewhere. Trevor May's on the shelf. Um, Drew Smith looks great. Edwin Diaz looks great, but uh, Jason Shreve looks great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I mean, all he's done has been pretty great as a Met in both of his stints. I know he, he kind of tapered off a little bit at the end of the uh, short 2020 season that he spent with the Mets, but overall, Jason Shreve has been much better than any bullpen bargain the Mets had picked up in. I don't even know how many years. Yeah, it's been a while. Yeah. Yeah, they're not generally good at that. Um, and yeah, Adam Adovino, probably not a nearly six ERA guy, but the walk rate is a problem. Uh, one One minor note, I'm trying not to be overly critical of every managerial move, but Adam Adovino came in with the bases loaded recently and walked the first guy he faced. Like he, like yep. he just can't. And I know that there's rest. I know there's a lot of considerations. Seth Lugo's looked better. Um, Sean Reed Foley is now out for a year and a half, probably realistically. Yeah, he, who knows if he even stays on the Mets roster with Tommy John surgery and his immediate future. Um, so yeah, it, Trevor Williams, please soak up some innings and be good because <laughs> you you can't have Shreve Smith Diaz or Adovino Smith Diaz or Adovino Lugo Diaz pitch every game, especially in a stretch like this. Um, I, I do think the Mets are still going to have to go get bullpen help, but I agree. Yes, but they're not they're not making those moves yet. No, and and for right now, Trevor Williams is going to have important innings to pitch in this team's uh, immediate future, whether or not we want to admit that or not. We like to believe that it's not going to happen, but it will likely happen because this is what happens in baseball. Uh, any other Mets-related ephemera from the last week before we get to our music picks? Um, No, not really, aside from... Killing a few seconds. Well, do you want to make your music recommendation first? <laughs> sure. Did, did, did a certain uh, co-host forget he had to do this today? No, no, no. Just uh, running a little dry. There's multiple albums coming out either tomorrow or later this month that I'm like super excited for. Um, but sure, I, I, I haven't heard the whole thing yet. So you, you go ahead and I yeah. will pick something. I am happy to be this guy this week. So, um, I had promised last week that I, I had done a, a trio of punk records, and I was going to stop with Angry White Men, and so I am I am following through with that. Um, I was flipping through my vinyl LPs this morning, thinking about a music pick, and I wanted to go with a classic album I've somehow never recommended, and that is Charles Mingus's Mingus uh, Um. Charles Mingus is maybe my favorite composer in the history of jazz. Uh, I, I love John Coltrane. Very much for those that that know. Every year on my birthday, I I listen to "A Love Supreme" by John Coltrane. That's my one birthday tradition I keep in my life. Um, that's my favorite record of all time. I have a painting of that album cover on my office wall. But uh, in terms of an overall sort of career, I think that Mingus is nowhere near the instrumentalist that um, Coltrane was. I think as a composer, he's probably my favorite jazz composer of all time. And my favorite Mingus record is Mingus uh, Um. This came out in 1959, and uh, it was it, it's considered one of his seminal works. 
it was uh, inducted into the Grammy Hall of Fame, for instance, which is something that, that is a thing and probably means nothing. But, you know, it's good to put on things like this um, to give people an understanding of just how excellent it is. Uh, there is a real mix of stuff here. I particularly like two of the slower numbers, which are uh, Goodbye Pork Pie Hat and Self-Portrait in Three Colors. Um, Self-Portrait in Three Colors is probably my favorite piece of Mingus writing. It's really just beautiful and languid and just gorgeous. Um, Goodbye Pork Pie Hat is a uh, is a beautiful song as well. That was written for Lester Young, who had died before the session uh, to record the record, and he was known to wear a pork pie hat. But this has, I mean, just there is not a bad track on this. The opening track, Better Get It In Your Soul, is a real upbeat sort of um, driving jazz number. Um, uh, Fables of Phobos is a, a, an absolute classic by Mingus. Um, which is a, a protest tune. I, I was talking to somebody recently who said, like, well, jazz can't really have protest tunes. Or it, 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 he was saying instrumental music can't have protest tunes because, um, you know, the, the protesting part is in the lyrics. And I was like, well, I actually listened to Fables of Phobos and tell me that doesn't sound like somebody protesting something. So anyway, the record is just, it's fantastic. It also features... Uh, you know, a, a bunch of references to other jazz musicians. I mentioned Goodbye Pork Pie Hat. But there's a song called Jelly Roll for Jelly Roll Morton. There's an open letter to Duke for Duke Ellington. There's bird calls for Charlie Parker. Like this is there. There's a lot of of um, Mingus referencing some of the of, some of his both contemporaries and those that came before him. And it's uh, it's just an, a fabulous record. It's something I put on often, and it, it's it's oftentimes a record I will play for people who aren't really jazz people. I'll play them self-portrait in three colors. If you're somebody who likes post-rock or something, some more like ambient stuff is that has a lot of shades of that. Um, it's just, it's a very, to my ears, it's a very digestible jazz record. If you're not super into jazz just yet. So for listeners who maybe want a good entry point into jazz, you can't go wrong with Mingus. Ah, uh, um, by Charles Mingus. That's the name Mingus, A-H-U-M, A-U-M, which uh, apparently is a Latin uh, joke, kind of, how masculine words end in U-S, feminine in the A sound, and then uh, the sort of non-gendered is ends in um. So it's, it's, uh, it's supposed to say Mingus, Minga, Mingum, like, Basically, Mingus is all things male, female, and and uh, neutral. So, yeah, that's the record. Check it out, Chris. What's your pick? Have you did, right. did, did did I did I babble on long enough to make you uh, to allow you to make a selection? Well, yes. I also think there's no such thing as speaking too long about Mingus. So, <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad you agree. That's... We should also mention this is Mingus's hundredth birthday. He was born 1922, so uh, 2022 is the year of Mingus. So, um, I am going to make it a point. When hopefully COVID dies down, I'm knocking on all the wood in my office um, to go see the Mingus Big Band plays in the city a lot still. And that is uh, obviously it is not led by Charles Mingus, who's been dead for some time, but it is playing his music and celebrating him. And they're doing a lot of New York area performances for his centennial. So uh, happy birthday, Charles Mingus. All right. Uh, I do have a recommendation. So this weekend scheduled to be at... Uh, a small music festival called Waking Windows in Winooski, Vermont. Uh, I've never been there. I've driven through Vermont, but I've never stopped in Winooski or Burlington. Um, so that'll be a whole 
new experience. And one of the bands that is on the bill that made us want to go is called The Nude Party. And uh, they're a band that one song off this record, the the album uh, is self-titled. And one song off this record, Astral Man, is the 10th track. It came up on Spotify algorithm generated either, you know, whether it was Discover Weekly or um, starting a, a radio station based on a certain song or album or playing similar music. Like that song came on all the time. It kind of stands out. I mean, I, I love that song. It kind of stands out from the rest of the record um, because it has a slower, more psychedelic sound to it. Um, but the record as a whole, once I actually gave it a, a proper chance, is just just good rock music, man. Like it's got parts of uh, influences from certainly the Rolling Stones, the Velvet Underground, probably some other gigantic bands and setting up a band with that description feels like a recipe for failure but it works it, it's not i don't know it doesn't come off as um mimicking either one it's just catchy songs um quite a few of them on here um chevrolet van is probably my second favorite track after astral man on it uh and we've never seen them live somehow with the variety of live music things that we've done we have not crossed paths with them. Um, I think they've played with a bunch of bands that we've seen, just never at the same time that we are seeing them. So uh, the Nude Party, by the Nude Party, uh, you know, good band name and lots of uh, lots of good, catchy, sort of uh, upbeat, even if the lyrics aren't always. Um, upbeat sounding songs, which is, which is good. I think it's nice to be able to, uh, tackle a variety of topics and, and do it in a way that, uh, still sounds fun, even if not all of it is. So <laughs> absolutely. That is a, that is a good thing. Um, check them out. And then I am no disrespect to this recommendation or any other, but the recommendation I think I'm going to make next week, the record comes out tomorrow. And I am super excited for it. Uh, hopefully it lives up to the hype that I have in my own head for it. Uh, and in that case, I won't even want to talk about baseball. I'll just get, I'll start the episode with a music wreck if you want me to. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see about that. But uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, I'm glad there's something coming out that you're that excited about. That's, that's fun. Um, but anyway, th thank you for listening, folks. Hopefully the Mets win today and continue their their uh, their lossless record, their lossless streak of series. Uh, but regardless of whether they win or lose, you can go to AmazingAvenue.com, find analysis and conversations about the Mets for all aspects, from the minors to former Mets, everything in between. We've got you covered at Amazing Avenue. We're also on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Amazing Avenue. I mentioned before that a pot of their own has been doing uh, the occasional Facebook Live episode. Those are always a lot of fun. So make sure to follow Amazing Avenue on Facebook so you can see when those are happening. Uh, you can find this show on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Google Music, Google Podcasts, rather, uh, Amazon Music. Wherever you find podcasts, you can find us, hopefully. If we if we aren't on your podcatcher of choice, um, give us an, uh, shoot us a, text, a, a message on Twitter, and we'll try to get on that platform. It's probably something we just haven't been able to do because we didn't know it existed because I think both of us 
don't get particularly creative when it comes to how we listen to podcasts. So uh, let us know if you want us on a different platform, and we'll do our best. Uh, Chris is on Twitter at Chris McShane. I'm on Twitter at Brian Needs an App. And until next time, let's go Mets.